Well, good morning. Before we begin, before we begin, I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you to Roger in particular for filling the pulpit in my absence. And what a what a blessing to have uh, someone who loves the Lord and who is faithful in his preparation. But I also want to say thank you to leaders, uh, the other leaders who um, do such a fantastic job of leading. And I, it just reminds me of how grateful I am and the gift of God's grace that he's provided uh, me with not just a leadership team who is faithful and who love me and who are helpful to me, but is faithful to you and loves you and cares for you. But I'm also grateful for all of you. What a, what a, what a gift the church is. And I, I am so grateful to be a part of this family. And uh, as Tammy and I participated in the live streams while we were gone, it was just such a, a rich joy to be able to feel like I was with you all. Uh, even though we were physically absent. And so I'm just so grateful to be back. Home is home. And um, we're back a little bit earlier than we had planned. And so we're going to actually do things a little bit differently this morning. We're going to go back to old school. Uh, there is no PowerPoint this morning. And if you look in your bulletin, you have a blank sheet for your outline notes. And so we're just going to do things old school this morning. But that's okay. It's good to do that from time to time. Um, for those that would like, uh, I will be providing notes um, here to Abe. So when the when the, this all gets uploaded, it, they'll be available. You can have some more detailed notes to kind of go back and review if you would like to do that. So if you would take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter three, Genesis chapter three. As has already been mentioned a couple of times, there is a bit of uniqueness to this morning. Um, not because of the loss of an individual, although that is, that is such a significant thing any time it happens, but Justin did play a unique role here in Cornerstone, both as a, an elder, as one of our, uh, probably, our, in fact, our key music leader for, for some time. I, I personally um, am grateful for Justin because um, he was the first one to reach out to me eight years ago and uh, initiate this whole conversation of me actually coming here and he's played a huge uh, role in my life. And I know that many of us who know Justin, who knew Justin, are grieving. And, um, but beyond that, as Roger alluded to, um, there's pain and suffering all around us. There's hurt, there's death that, that surrounds us. And so I thought it would be appropriate for us this morning to, to take a step back and think about a, a, a topic that we don't really discuss very often. In fact, I would suggest we, we discuss it very little. Um, we don't discuss death very often. And, and we're going to look at this in a way that is a bit unique, perhaps. Uh, to some of you, it may not be new, but to many of you, what we're going to actually talk about this morning may actually be a bit of a, a, a surprise, or, and it's going to take some explanation. And so, but we're going to talk about the mercy of death. That mercy, the mercy of God in death. Death is actually a mercy of God to us. And I want to think about that this morning, um, just maybe for a little bit of uh, levity, a little bit of lightness this morning. I, if you're familiar with the Babylon Bee, the Babylon Bee is a kind of a, a satirical news site. In, they, they say uh, fake news you can trust um, is their, their tagline. Uh, they, they, they poke fun at all kinds of things. And... Um, 
So one of the things that they, they poked fun on it about here recently is the pandemic, and uh, they were poking fun at some of our politicians. And I'm not going to get political this morning, so I'm going to leave out some of the information that they, they put in their article. But they, they made reference to a, a governor of a, a great state who, who, this is fake news, right? So this didn't really happen. But the article is the governor, this governor will keep the state in lockdown until science, scientists discover the cure for death. Well, that's, that's kind of funny, right? I mean, in the sense of, but, but you know the reason it's funny is because there's truth to it. There, it's funny because we, we are all uh, struggling against death. Death is a reality. We all know it, right? We, we, every one of us knows that none of us is going to get out of this world alive. That is, unless Christ returns, right? Death is inevitable for every one of us. And we know that, and yet, let's be honest, we hide it. We don't talk about it. We don't want to think about it. Now, there is a way in which we can talk too much about it. And in some cultures where death is everywhere, where you see it all the time, the problem with that is that then we become indifferent and callous toward it, right? It's just every day. But when we hide it and when we don't talk about it, it produces a great deal of confusion around it. And so when it does come, we find ourselves stumbling about, as it were, in the dark, trying to lay hold of something that will help us through it. And oftentimes what we lay hold of are the kind of cultural ideas surrounding death and surrounding its meaning that actually distort it. And that actually are of no real help to us. And so I, I wanted to think, there's so many different ways we could look at this. But again, as I said at the beginning, I wanted to think together with you about the mercy of death. And I wanted to do that from Genesis, primarily from Genesis chapter 3. So if you'll turn there, and then we're going to read this, this scripture together. Pray and ask the Lord for some help this morning, as we always need his help. But maybe especially this morning. And, uh, and then... We'll proceed. Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. We read this. Well, let's pick it up. Let's just pick it up at 17. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all of the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us knowing good and evil. And now you might Stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the men out and at the east of the garden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. It is life to us because it is truth. And Lord, it is truth because you gave it. And it tells us of you. 
It tells us of us, but it, it tells us of us in as much as we relate to you. Lord, this is your word from you, about you, and for you. And Lord, we receive it gladly, knowing that because it is all about you, Lord, it is so good to us. Lord, as we turn to it now, as we think together about death and about your mercy, Father, would you help us? Lord, this is a difficult subject. And Lord, would you help me to be clear, to be grace-giving, to be, uh, not to create any confusion? Lord, we need you in that. I need you. And so we cry out to you now for your mercy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we're, we need to, to talk about this concept of death as a mercy because I think it helps us to understand death and to think rightly about it, not only as we think about the loss of those whom we love, but as we anticipate our own death and as we think forward to that. But before we understand death as a mercy, we first have to understand death as a curse. Death is a curse, right? And I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now, uh, we'll, we'll get there eventually uh, as we get back into Deuteronomy, but I want you to turn there now and we'll look, kind of look ahead. Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're going to look at verse 19 because what we find here is this reality of death as a curse. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, Moses writes, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. So do you see in that text that what Moses has done is he has set, he's taken two things. He's taken life and death and he's set them alongside of one another. But then in a parallel in that passage, he, he links life to blessing and death to curse, right? Life, there's blessing, death, curse. Death is a curse. And in this context, what he's saying is, listen, I'm setting before you the law. We've been talking about the law. We had gone through the Ten Commandments. And, and if, as we think about the Ten Commandments, we realize that we can't keep the Ten Commandments, right? I can't keep the law. And yet, what is the curse of the law? It's death. And why is it the curse of the law? Because in not keeping it, I am sinning against the Lord. And therefore, I am uh, rightfully judged as condemned. And we see death as a penalty for the guilt of those who are then sentenced. So, so pen, the death is the penalty to which the guilty are sentenced. So go back to Genesis, but we're going to go back to chapter 2, and we're going to see this pronouncement by the Lord in helping us to understand that death is a curse. Genesis chapter 2, looking at verse 17, we'll pick it up at 16, just for context. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree... Of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. If you think about any kind of law code, law, when it's given to us, even by our governing officials, holds out to us that which we ought to do or not do, right? But connected to that law is some uh, penalty associated with that. So the law says, 
if you do this, then you will do that. And you think of criminal law in particular. We, we have the law laid out for us where uh, penalties are assigned, right? Uh, five to ten years or life or execution or that penalty is assigned, right? And then there is a sentencing that takes place when someone is condemned, right? Here we have the penalty held out to us. Adam has been given the law, don't eat from this tree, and here is the penalty if you do. And then in the passage that we read earlier in Genesis 3, we see the sentence. So if you'll jump ahead with me to the curse given in looking particularly at verse 19, it says, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So what the Lord is telling Adam is that, listen, you have been condemned. You are now cursed. And the penalty is being assigned, and here is your sentence. It is death. You are dust, and you will return to dust. You will die. So this is actually a fulfillment of God's promise to Adam saying, listen, if you do this, I will do that. He's made a promise, right? It's a negative promise, but it's a promise nevertheless. And God is faithful to always fulfill his promises. And so he fulfills this promise by saying, you're going to die. And Adam did, in fact, die. In fact, death is a constant reminder of the penalty. That is the curse of sin, isn't it? If you turn to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, we see this very clearly in what Paul has to say there. Romans chapter 5, look first at verse 12. Paul writes this, he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world. Who's this one man? Adam, right? We just read about that. We just read where Adam was told, do not eat from the tree. He eats from the tree and he's cursed, right? Through one man, sin enters into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death spread to all men because all sinned. And then he goes on, he says, for until the law was in the world, for until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. And what he means by that is Adam had been given this very clear law. Do not eat from the tree. And he's going to go on and he's going to say from Adam until Moses, there was no such law, right? There wasn't any explicit law given. And yet they sinned. And we know they sinned. Why? Because they died. That's what Paul is saying. Listen, you know that you have sinned because you're going to die. And death is the curse of sin. It is the sentence of your penalty. And in verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Now, we've talked about this before, but we live in a world in which death reigns because sin reigns, right? Death reigns. Everywhere you look, there it is. Everywhere you look, there is death. And I'm not just talking about the death of people. I'm not talking about my own death or your death. But even just look at the crops in the field. We're we're at that time of year. We're coming into the fall. 
and you see the browning of things, right? You see the dying process even now taking place. Your grass is going to die, right? Death is everywhere. Animals die. You see, the, you see the result of it along the side of the road. Death is everywhere. Death reigns. Death is a curse. Death is an evil. But death is also a reminder. It's not just a reminder of the penalty of sin. It is so profoundly that as I see death, I'm reminded of my own sinfulness. I'm reminded of my own of this curse. But it's also a reminder. It's a humbling. And for those who are not in Christ, a humiliating reminder of our earthly origin. And I want you to look at what uh, that in verse 19 in Genesis chapter 3, what Moses says there from the Lord. In that last statement, he says, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. You are dust. Now, I think that what Moses is wanting to do is he's wanting to set our humanity, this dust origin, over against deity. You thought that by eating of that tree, you would become like God. Well, let me remind you, you are dust. That's humbling to us. Adam's sin was not just eating from a tree. Adam's sin was a desire for autonomy, a desire for deity, a desire to be his own God. And what the Lord says to all of us is, listen, not only are you not God, you're dust. You're dust. And death reminds us of that. It humbles us. You are dust. But death is also a humbling or even a humiliating Reminder of our most basic weakness. Of our most basic weakness. Because he goes on in that that statement. He says, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Now that's the sentence of death. That's the sentence of the judgment. But it is also a stark reminder that you cannot sustain your life. You can't keep your life going. You are going to return to dust. That ought to humble us. That ought to humble us by saying, I am fundamentally a dependent creature. God created me and he sustains my life. He is the one that keeps me going. And death, as I see it around me, reminds me, or at least it should Remind me that I can't keep my life going. And if I let it humble me that way, what a mercy and grace that is to me to remind me of how great my God is and how caring and kind he is that he would sustain my life, right? That he would keep me living. But we have to to pause here for just a moment and ask the question, what is death really though? What is death really? What are we really talking about? Because when, when, the, when the judgment or when that, that penalty was laid out for Adam, you shall surely die. If you read the narrative, you, you realize that in that moment, Adam actually didn't physically die when he ate from the, the tree, did he? In fact, he went on to live for hundreds more years, right? And so it's like, well, wait a minute. What, what, what does that mean? You say, well, yeah, he eventually did die. But the Lord says 
The day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what is death then? Well, listen, um, death is not often how we think of it. In fact, I would say we don't even really think of it this way, although we kind of think of it this way, if that makes sense. Let me, let me say this. If you go on and you look at a definition of death, this is what you're going to find. It is the total and permanent cessation of all the vital functions of an organism, right? It's the total and permanent cessation of all the vital functions of an organism. So when an animal dies, all of its vital functions have ceased and have ceased permanently. That's death, right? That's death. But is that how you think of it? Or when you're talking and thinking about death, when, you're, when, when you are contemplating the death of a loved one, is that what you're contemplating? Are you, are you contemplating this physical thing, this physical reality? I assure you that's not. That's actually not even what you fear if you fear death. What you're contemplating is loss. And you're actually contemplating separation. And it's separation from loved ones. Right? Listen to what someone will say who has had someone murdered in their family. They will say, he was taken from me. Now, what do they mean by that? Do they mean that, are they thinking about the cessation of the vital functions of that person's life? Or is that what they're thinking about? When they're thinking about he was taken from me? Or are they thinking about the fundamental loss of relationship? I can't talk to that person anymore. I can't see that person anymore. I can't be with that person anymore. That's death. That's death. And that death is actually greatest And it's most profound in our separation from God. And that's the curse. The curse is a separation from God himself. When Adam took that fruit and he ate it and he sinned against his God, he died. That is, he was separated away from the presence of God. He could no longer be in the presence of this holy, holy, holy God. He died And we see that death later on at the end of this chapter when we see him driven out from the garden. So he drove the man out at the east of the Garden of Eden and he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned uh, every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. He drove him out from what? From God's very presence. Because the temple or the, the garden was a temple of God. It's where Adam walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. It's where Adam experienced God personally, and the Lord drove him out from the presence of his very person. That's really what death is. Death is loss. It is, it is loss and separation. Okay. But here's where we need to turn to it as a mercy, because God makes death a mercy. In his mercy, he makes death to be a mercy. And we see that mercy even in this text. First of all, we see it in in taking the death of an animal and making the death of an animal a mercy to this couple. Look at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. 
Now, why did he do that? Because we're told earlier that they, that they saw that they were naked, right? They saw that they were naked. They were, we're told at the end of chapter two, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. But now after they've sinned, they realize we're naked. What does that mean? It certainly meant something physical, but it meant something way beyond that, right? It meant we're shamed, we're guilty, and they, they feel that. And what do they do? Well, they do two things, right? Number one, they, they try to, the, to, to sew together fig leaves and to cover themselves. Well, how long is that going to last, right? How long is that going to last? And then they hide. They need covering. They need mercy from the Lord. And what does he do? The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. I want you to contemplate with me for just a moment the amazing kindness of God in this act. And I want you to think about it in two ways. This kindness, this mercy. God loves all of his creation, does he not? Is there any element of his creation that he does not love with all of his being? Would that include animals? Does he not love the animal that he created? But what does he do? He takes the life of an animal. He takes the life of of this creature that he made and he loves. That, That animal gave its life. God gave something. He sacrificed. And and do you see that God made the skins for them? He not only sacrificed, but he served. Do you see the kindness of that? In, in, In Paul, in Ephesians, tells us that the mercy of God is abounding. It's It's beyond our ability to understand. He abounds in mercy. And we see this mercy in a death. We see that mercy in the death of an animal. Now that that picture looks ahead, right? That picture in the garden of of, of the Lord God himself taking the life of an animal and using its skin to clothe Adam and Eve looks ahead to the sacrificial system. It looks ahead to when Israel, under the law, would have a system whereby they would sacrifice animals in atonement for their sin, right? And so there is this ongoing taking of animals' lives in order for them to be clothed, if you will. And what an ongoing testimony of God's mercy. Look, this animal will give its life for you. These animals will give their life again and again and again. But listen, even that, That looks ahead to the sacrifice. It all looks ahead to the one full and complete sacrifice. Because he makes his son's death a mercy to his people. He made an animal's death a mercy to them in the garden. But he makes his son's death a mercy to his people. In John 1.29 John the Baptist is out ministering. And in verse 29, we read the next day, John, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, behold, 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the animal. Behold the one. This sacrifice, this death that is about to happen. Behold that one. What a mercy. What an amazing mercy. In Hebrews 10, 10, we read, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That is, you have been purified. If you are in Christ, you have been purified by that death. The Lord makes death a mercy. He made the death of that animal a mercy. He makes the death of his son a mercy. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 61, because there's such a profound picture there for us of this. Isaiah chapter 61. And in verse 10, we read the prophet writing this. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself, with her jewels. I I can't help but think of that last statement as a bridegroom, thinking about Christ in Ephesians, dying for his bride, the church, so that he might clothe her and adorn her. And I can't help but think of Genesis, where the Lord sacrificed an animal in the garden, and he took the skins and he clothed Adam and Eve, all of to look forward to say, Salvation will clothe you. I will take the righteousness of my son, Jesus, the Savior. I will take that righteousness. I'm going to wrap you in it. What he's talking about here, friend, what he's talking about, for those of you who know Christ, he's talking about justification. He's talking about your guilt on the one hand, this guilt that you objectively have between you and the Lord, where you have sinned. Listen, if you weren't around for the Ten Commandments through those, those series of messages, I encourage you to go back and listen because, because you have sinned and you're sinning, right? You are objectively guilty before God. You break his law every day. You are objectively guilty. That is a courtroom term. You have been, you have been judged. The penalty has been pronounced and the sentence has been given. You are condemned, right? Justification is the work of Christ whereby he satisfies that penalty for you. Where he pays the penalty. And what did that require? Death. Death. It it required your death. But Jesus steps in. He's the animal. He steps in and says, I'll die. I'll die for you. I will justify you. In fact, he's the only one that could justify you because he was the only one that lived a perfect life. He's the only one who has ever been truly righteous and it is his righteousness now that is wrapped around you and is clothing you. Isn't that amazing? God's mercy is seen in death. But as we move on, we also understand and flowing out of that, that he makes others' death a mercy to us all. 
believer and unbeliever alike, he makes the death of others a mercy to us. How does he do that? And I want you to think with me, I'm just going to read this text to you, but out of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 2, Solomon wrote this. He said, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. Let's just stop there for a minute. It's better to go to a house of mourning rather than a house of feasting. What's our preference? We're going to go to the party, right? <laughs> I mean, sign me up for the party. I don't want to go to the, I don't want to go to the, to the, to the house of where they're mourning. I don't want to go to that service where there's mourning going on. I want to go to the party. But the, this, but the Solomon is telling us it's better. It's better to go to the house of mourning. Why? Because that is the end of every man. And the living takes it to heart. Do you see how when I observe the death of another, the Lord can make that a mercy to me and saying, Kelly, that's your end. Do you remember that? Do you know that? This is your end. Whenever I have uh, sat through a memorial service and listening to those who speak, I, I cannot help but think about my own life. I cannot help but think about how I stand. What will be said of me? But you know what? I I ought not to care very much about what you hear from me or about me. But what I ought to care most about is what will the Lord say of me? That's my end. And when someone I love passes, when they go home, if they're a believer, it's a mercy to me. And saying, Kelly, that's you. Do you understand? That's you. It's coming. Friend, I want to say to you this morning, if you're not sure of your standing before God, then it would be helpful for you to contemplate death. And when others around you die, it's 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 a mercy to you. It's 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 a a reminder to you to say, stop, evaluate, think, Are, are you ready? Every man is going to die and appointed unto every man is judgment. Have you been clothed or will you be found naked before this one? Have you been clothed? Clothed not with your own good works. Clothed not with your abilities. Clothed not with all the good things that you've done. But have you been clothed in the righteousness of Christ? Have you taken on this garment that God has prepared for you? Have you wrapped yourself in Jesus That's the only way you're going to stand. It's the only way you're going to survive. It's the only way that you're going to remain in his presence. You, like Adam, if you are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ, will be cut off. You will be separated eternally. And there will be flaming angels with swords saying, never will you come into my presence. Do you understand me, friend? If you don't know Jesus, if you've not clothed with his righteousness, this is your end. But if you are in Christ, if you are in him, if you're wrapped in his righteousness, there's hope. There's hope. Death is a mercy when we see others die because it reminds me, I need to, I need to evaluate, I need to think again, where do I stand with this one?
And finally, he'll make your death a mercy to you. He's going to make your death a mercy to you. Now that is, if he should tarry and not return and transform you in the twinkling of an eye when he comes with a shout, should that be delayed, every one of us will die and he will make it a mercy to you if you are his. How does he do that? Well, look at verse 22 with me back in Genesis chapter 3. Look at verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Well, what's he doing here? He's understanding the very nature of Adam. He's understanding that left to himself, and if that tree of life is still there, Adam will go and will partake and live forever. Now, I don't understand how it is that that tree functions that way. I don't want to speculate on it. I just know what the text says. And so the Lord, in mercy to Adam, says, I won't let you do that. I love you, my creation. And Adam, I'm not going to let you go and reach out your hand and eat from that tree and live forever. I'm going to take your life. Why? Mercy. Imagine. Imagine Adam's life forever in that fallen state. Imagine Adam being left forever in a state of separation from God. But more importantly, right now for you and for me, imagine your own life forever as it is now. I don't know about you, but the older I get, (laughs) man, the older I get, the more I realize that an eternal earthly life would be an unending curse of pain and suffering. And this world is just filled with brokenness, isn't it? It's just filled with pain. It's just filled with hardship. I, I cannot imagine living like this forever. Can you? Really, when we honestly think about it, would we really want to have a forever like this? Now, I'm reminded of Paul's statement in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24, where he says this, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? He is clearly including in that the idea of suffering and pain and all of that. But more importantly, he's most focused on the suffering that comes from this ongoing indwelling sin in me. And I can't tell you how many times before the Lord I'm crying out and saying, God, would you not rescue me from my sin? I hate it. I don't want to stay like this. God, would you deliver me, please, from this? Could you imagine eternity like that? 
death is a mercy. I'm not going to let you stay that way. I'm going to take your life for you, for your good. Because you need to be set free from this body. You need to be set free from sin and its effects upon you. Death is a mercy to us. Do we see it that way? Why do we so cling to this? Why do we so hang on? When we're honest with ourselves, we say, oh man, this stinks. But God in his mercy, he's made death a mercy for those who embrace his new way of life. He makes death a mercy for those who embrace his new way of life. Look again at chapter 3 in the end. Verse 24, so he drove the men out and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to do what? To guard the way to the tree of life. To guard the way to the tree of life. For those who understand, who have had the the gospel presented to us, you know that we've actually been given a new way, a new and living way. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way. The way to what? To, to eternal life? Well, yes. To resurrection? Well, yes. But it's a reversal of this curse. The cherubim with their flaming swords are set aside. And the entrance back into the very presence of God is opened wide to you in Christ. I am the way do you you don't want listen i guarantee you do not want eternal life apart from christ what you want is christ what you want is him what you want is to be with him to be in his presence and it is that way that has been opened to you by jesus by jesus's death and his resurrection that proved that that death did what it accomplished it justified you if you're in Christ. If you embrace this Jesus, if you embrace him and his justification of you, the way has been thrown wide open to you to re-enter into his presence. And you can begin that now. You can begin to know him now, but it is death that will set us free ultimately to where we're ushered into the presence of God to be with him without distortion, without distraction, without any kind of encumbrance, and certainly without the presence of sin in our lives that, that distorts and makes it so hard to see him clearly. That's why Paul says back in Romans chapter 7, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Listen. I know that the world holds out all kinds of reasons to those who are contemplating suicide and those who are contemplating taking their own life. It holds out all kinds of various forms of hope. But this is the hope we hold out. This is, this is the person we hold out. There is hope for this life because Jesus has made a way. 
You're going to die. But that death is a mercy to you. It sets you free from the body of this death. And it ushers you into the very presence of the one who made you, who loves you, who died for you, and who's clothing you in his righteousness. That's the only message that gives hope to the hopeless. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says, We're of good courage. We're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Now, he has preceded that by saying, if we walk by faith and not by sight. So as we close this morning, I want to ask you, how do you see your death? How do you see death? Do you you see it as a mercy to you? Listen, we, we, we have said death is an enemy. Death is a curse. There is a way in which God did that. that, that that's, that's how we ought to think of it. God did not intend us to die. But God has taken this enemy. He's taken this curse. And for those that are his, he's turned it into this amazing mercy. Do you see it that way? Listen, I want to tell you, if, if you do, if you can, then it fundamentally transforms the way you think about the death of a loved one in Christ and the way you think about your own death. Death no longer is this fearsome thing, this, this thing that we dread and fear. Death actually becomes a friend. Death becomes a friend, ushering us into the presence of our great one true friend, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the gift of life that we have in you. Lord, you are the God of life. You are not the God of death. You are the God of life. It is just and it is right, Lord, that you have condemned us sinners to death. But you're the God of life. You are life. And Lord, you have made a new and living way for us to experience true, lasting life. Life in you and in your Son and in your Spirit forever, in your presence, no longer separated away from you. And Lord, for those of us in you, you've begun that life now. Lord, we're we're getting tastes of it now. Thank you for the mercy that you've given to us in your word. Thank you for the mercy that you've given to us in the reminders of others' deaths. Thank you for the the mercy that you've given to us as we contemplate these things and are pointed to the death of your son. And Lord, we look forward. We anticipate that day when we will be able to completely and fully say thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ our Lord we have been set free from this wretched man that I am. Lord I pray that this be true of all of us that every one of us here know you in this way and for those that don't Lord would you stir in their hearts their need and Lord would you even use death as a mercy to them to turn them to you. Lord we pray these things in your name. Amen.